0: hi sisters welcome back we are on john chapter 2 and today we are going to be going through verses 1 through 11. just a reminder that this is an older teaching that i taught live to a bible study group and so the sound is a little bit different and sometimes you'll hear some background noises and there's some people that are actually helping to read the scriptures but neither Here nor there, it is a beautiful teaching on the Gospel of John, and I pray you enjoy this episode. Hi, family. Welcome to God's Word Transforming Lives. Are you wanting to learn the Bible verse by verse, one letter at a time, with real-life application? Then this podcast is for you. My name is Amy, and I have been teaching the Word of God to women for over 15 years now. I came out of some trauma from my childhood, and it left me feeling so empty. And after searching high and low with everything the world had to offer, I always came up short until I learned the Word of God for myself, and it was in that that I became transformed. So if you would like to be transformed by God's word, then stick around and let's do this together. Did you know I have a free sisterhood community of women just like you? Women who love Jesus and they love one another. They too are looking for that deeper walk with Christ and they love learning his word. If you pause right now and click the link below in the show notes, it'll take you right to the Facebook group We look forward to getting to know you. We're going to start in chapter 2 here. We're going to really get into the uh, miracles of Jesus. We're going to start out with the the wedding. So chapter 2, Daniel, you want to read verses 1 through 3? On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Okay, so I really want to paint this picture for you. Back then, weddings were a huge deal. I mean, they were like the epicenter of life back then. Life was very hard. They worked long hours. And so when there would be a wedding, this was just a huge, huge deal. Now, when it says here on the third day they were at a wedding in Cana, In Galilee that would have only been about nine miles from Nazareth. So it was a very very small village and so it was likely this could have been maybe a cousin of Mary, a cousin of Jesus, or close friends and family. So it's very likely that Mary would have been invited there because they would have known each other. This would have been a huge deal that would have been told all in that region about this wedding. The bridegroom would come and he would ask a woman's hand in marriage and it would just be a celebration from that point on. It would take about a year because he would leave after asking for the engagement and he would go and prepare a house for her, whether he prepared it um, on the father's land or he would build a house or get the money together. And so there's like a year of anticipation of this wedding And so Jesus being there and Mary being there is likely, he's among friends and family, people he would have grown up with, people that would have known him in Nazareth. And so just kind of painting that picture, weddings typically lasted anywhere from five to seven days back then. I mean, this was a party, people stopped working, this was the place to be at this wedding. And so this is a huge deal. Kind of really building that up, he is among friends, he's among family. He has not performed any miracles yet. He has not gone into public ministry yet, okay? And so so that's why they're there. And it says, um, and I I want you guys to notice something else as well. It's, you know, God writes his word by no accident. This is God breathed. Yes, he uses men to write it and and uses their personalities, but this is God breathed. And so when he wrote this, it is not an accident that Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. Jesus wanted to put his stamp on marriage, Two people getting married, one becoming one flesh. You know, this is so important. This is talking about, this is covenant matters with God. When we have a wedding, um, a wedding is literally, it's the foundation of a society. Weddings, having a man and a woman together, raising children, that is the foundation. It's a public ceremony among friends and family where God comes in As the foundation and brings two people together that become one and so it's no accident that Jesus had his first miracle at a wedding Um, this is considered a common grace a common grace is something that even if you're not saved even if you don't know God as your personal Savior you still get to participate in certain things oxygen is a common grace good food cheesecake good steak Is a common grace Mm mm-hmm we do we like steak common graces are you know good medicine or or just falling in love or having grandchildren and children all of the human race can enjoy that common grace okay so this is what we call a common grace and it is the most it is the most it's the most highest common grace in all humanity because it's literally two human beings supernaturally becoming one to becoming one, and it's a supernatural thing. And that's why, it's because you literally become one when you give yourself sexually to somebody. You become one with that person. And so this is just just such an important time. It's another thing to note too that a society that upholds marriage with one man and one woman, raising up children, a society that really builds their society on that foundation of marriage is a society that God blesses. It's a society that's gonna have lower crime rate, it's gonna have children that are gonna be more better functioning adults in society. It's a society that you're not gonna see that heavy drug use and alcohol and depression and mental illness, because you'll see God's beautiful um, presence in a, a society that really values marriage. What starts to happen is when you have a society that no longer values marriage between one man and one woman for life, raising up children, we actually start to see God's judgment on that on that particular culture or that society. We see drugs and alcohol. We see a lot more domestic violence. We see children that are just raised in all kinds of you know um, dysfunction. They have a harder time becoming those functioning adults in society. Sexual immorality starts to abound adultery, homosexuality, now where we're at today with the transgenders, we just start to see prostitution becoming a thing, sex sex slave trafficking. You know, we start to see a real moral decline because what we're seeing is God's judgment. On a nation or on a society that no longer values the greatest common grace that he gave humanity which is marriage between one man and one woman and so it's really important that as the church as the body of Christ that we want to preach marriage we want to preach one man and one woman coming together for a life and and raising children and, and, and raising them in the ways of the Lord now, we understand that sin is out there, and Jesus came for sinners. And a lot of us came from broken homes and broken lives and sin and destruction. But there's a redeemer. That's the beautiful thing. God is a redeemer. But but when we live right by his ways, we can rebuild a society. We can rebuild a society. And so that's just a beautiful thing. So Jesus honored marriage um, by doing his first miracle at the wedding. So, first one. It says, I already told you the wedding blast about seven days. So verse three, the wine runs out. This is huge. This would be like, to us, we wouldn't probably think. It'd be like if I just had a, if I invited all of you to a backyard barbecue at my house, I said, you got to come. I'm going to have wings. I'm going to have chicken. I'm going to have steak. Come. And you're not there five minutes and all the food's gone. You didn't get a chance to, like 90% of you didn't get a chance to eat. It would be humiliating. It'd be like, oh my gosh. You know, because this is something that they, the master of the wedding feast would have planned this to the tea, to make sure there's enough wine for five to seven days, make sure there's enough food for the guests. This would have been huge. Such an embarrassment. So verses four and five, uh, Gabs. Uh, four to five. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So he says to him, you know, so, and when they ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And so she would have known who Jesus was, clearly. She knew, because God, had the angels told her. She had the Messiah. She knew who he was. She knew he was God, right? So that's why she knew to go to him. And, he, and so here's Jesus' response. Woman, what, what does your concern have to do with me? And when we read that, we think he's being disrespectful. Like if my husband be like, woman, give me my food woman, and when I was actually doing that, he did say that to me. He's like, woman. So, but that's not what this, in this particular context, when they would say woman back then, it was actually ma'am or lady. It was actually, a, it was actually um, respect. He was showing her respect as a woman. He wasn't using it in derogatory term like we would today, you know, um, in our silliness or disrespect. So like when he says, woman, what does, what does your concern have to do with me? So what he's saying there is, woman, I said it's not just, but what does your concern have to do with me can actually be translated, what have we in common? What do we have in common? Now he's saying this to his own mother, right? We know this was used about three other times in scripture. David used it twice when he was talking to his cousins and he was saying, what do we have in common as far as as a spiritual life? In other words, nothing. It's a rhetorical question. What do we have in common? rhetorical question, answer, nothing. Okay. And then, uh, Elisha uses it in second Kings. And when he says, how deep is the gulf between me and Ahab's son, Jerome? It's deep. I have nothing in common with you. You are of an evil seed. We have nothing in common. Then three times the demons use it to express that Satan and Christ have nothing in common. Okay. In the new Testament. So what Jesus is actually saying here, he's saying, Hey, Mary, I am Christ, I am sinless, I am deity, I am God incarnate, and you are sinful humanity, and there's a gulf between us. We have nothing in common, and in other words, I don't listen to you. I listen to the Father. And he wasn't being disrespectful, he was being factual. I don't, you do not, I created you, Mary. You are sinful, I am God incarnate, you don't tell me what to do. And he wasn't being disrespectful, he was being matter of fact. And she got it, because when you you look at, oh, and then he goes on to say, my hour has not yet come, this is talking about the crucifixion. My public ministry has not yet come. Whenever he uses that in the New Testament, he's meaning the crucifixion. It is not quite my time yet to be declared publicly that I am the Messiah. Even when he was doing his public miracles, it wasn't that he was telling them, I am the Messiah, although he was showing them. It's really when the plaque went above his head, King of the Jews. Now his time has come. He has been declared the Messiah. Now they rejected it, but it was publicly declared I am the Messiah. And as mothers, we can get really zealous. Or if oh, we get yeah. really excited about something, we're ready to push you off into something before you're all he's ready, right? right. We know that as moms <laughs> and his dad. So, you know, he just wanted to put her in her place and remind her, I'm God and I'm here for a mission. So his mother says to the servants, whatever he says, do it. So she clearly was agreeing with him, right? Whatever he says, you do it. He's God, he's the boss, he's the Messiah. Okay, so, so do six through eight. Now there were six stone water j- jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it you want me to do nine? No. So, number six. So, you know, so what it's saying here is there's a purification. This was a, actually a ritual. So, like, Jews had all these rituals and cleansing rituals. And so what he's, he's just saying, you know, grab those buckets. Basically, like, if they would have touched a dead body, they have to, like, do all these different rituals to cleanse. So then he goes on to chapter, or verse six, where he says, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled, with, filled them to the brim. Notice here that the servants filled the water pots not his disciples <coughs> a so they they couldn't say there was trickery well his disciples filled them they clearly did something to it when they filled it for that for him so he had the servants do it. he had a, he had an outside person do it and number two notice that it says fill them to the brim that means fill it to the tippy top so that he can't be accused of filling it this much and then pouring this much wine into it truly a miracle was about to be performed and it, and it was an instantaneous thing. As soon as they were filled, he didn't sit there and go, ebra la," whatever, you know, he didn't do that. It was instantaneously, it was turned into wine. <coughs> they could now drink it. So, so draw from some now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Uh, verses 9 and 10. When the, chief ser- when the chief servant tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from though the servants who had drawn the water knew he called the groom and told him everyone sets out the first the fine wine first then after people have drunk freely the inferior but you have kept the fine wine till now so the master had no idea that jesus had done this so he's thinking it was the bridegroom that was like why this is so bizarre we never put out we always put the first out first and then bring in the last, the least, the least of these. And that's a metaphor right there as well. You know, so often in this society, we look at the prettiest. We look at the, the nicest homes, the, the nicest cars, who's got the better jobs. We want the young, right? We want the young and the fresh. And even if you look at like the, the <coughs> pastors that are on television, I don't even like to call them pastors, the uh, false teachers that are on television, don't they all look really pretty? And if they start to age, what do they start? They have a plastic surgeon typically on standby. It's just a fact because they know that more people are going to watch them if they look the part. But that's not Jesus and that's not his kingdom. His kingdom is going to be the first will be last and the last will be first. He's looking for the least of these. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the broken. He came for the sinner. He came for the sick. And so him bringing forth the wine after was very symbolic in, in, in as well because he's try he's he's bringing a whole new kingdom than what we're used to. Yeah. A whole new kingdom. Ooh, ooh, that like where I the like first it. will be last and the last will be first. You've all been if you've been kicked off the kickball team, he's about to make you the captain. He's about to make you the captain. These were the beginning of his signs um So go ahead and read. So I'm just going to read 11. This is the beginning of signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee. There's actually, I want you guys to go back, and I know that I'm kind of going a little, I don't mean to go fast, but there is so much actually. We could literally just spend this entire time together just talking about the wedding. (coughs) And then we could spend a whole other Friday just talking about the cleansing of the temple. And then the whole nother one, just talking about the last three verses. That's how deep and wide John is. And I actually have to go through it a lot in my head to try to condense it and just pull out what I can. And it's kind of hard for me to teach it because of that, believe it or not, because I just want to go really deep. I'm kind of like a deep person. But um, I encourage you guys to go back through this and go deeper, go wider, go searching. Look up the Greek and look up the different things because there's actually so much more that can be said. But anyways, so... So, in 11, the beginning of the signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And that word glory there, as we've talked about before, it's literally the manifestation of God. It's another sign that John's trying to get home here. He is God. He manifested the glory of God through this sign and wonder. So, he's again <laughs> telling the reader here that Jesus is God. And it's really important that we understand that. It's really important that we know who Jesus is because. Get with a false teacher. All you need to do is ask somebody, Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And you'll get a real feel on whether or not they're a false teacher or not. Because that's the first thing that Satan goes after in false teachers the deity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Mormonisms, he's the brother of Satan. He's not God. Right? Jehovah Witnesses, he's not God. There is no hell, right? Muslims, he's a really great prophet, but he's not God, right? They're going to go after that deity. Satan needs to go after that deity because if God didn't take your sin at the cross, then there is no salvation for you today in this room. Only God could take the sins of humanity upon himself. No human being could do that for you. So it had to be God at that cross. It had to be. And he had to be fully human because he had to take it for, for us. And if you guys were a part of the uh, last year's you know, study when we did the, the, the deity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we talk very in-depth about that, um, about why he had to die, why he had to be God, and all those things. And we might start another class. Because it's really important that you guys know the orthodox foundations of Christianity, especially in a world and in a culture that is so depleted of our foundations. The churches don't teach it anymore. They don't teach the attributes of God. They don't teach the foundations of who Jesus really is, why he had to come and die for us, right? And so a lot of people even sit in this room, you, you, you know of this man named Jesus, but you don't really know. You don't really fully understand. And we should. We should know our Orthodox Christianity. Okay, sisters, we're going to end there at verse 11. And I do want to mention that I do have a 15-week study guide that you can get on Amazon. And it does go through the attributes of God. Who is Jesus? Why can we trust the Bible? What was really afforded to us at the cross? It talks about just different topics that we as Christians really need to know in our walks. It will deepen your walk with the Lord. It will deepen your walk with scripture. It is all scripture that you'll be looking up and going through and praying through and meditating upon. It's a wonderful 15-week study guide, and I highly encourage you uh, to go and get that. I will have the link to that in the show notes. And so I pray that this uh, series is blessing you. The Gospel of John is that universal gospel that we recommend to anybody to learn first and foremost in their Christian walk, and then continue to delve into it as we mature as well. So Lord, I just want to lift up my sisters to you today. I pray, Father, that you are just blessing them through your word, that Lord, that as we are learning your word together, that it causes us to want to go deeper, to go wider, to learn more about what you have to show us, that we really are meditating on your word day and night, that it richly dwells in us, Father. Lord, that you're just calling us to go deeper in you, to learn the deeper things about you. And Lord, so that we can pour ourselves out onto others and be ready to give that testimony, to give the the wisdom that you've given us in season and out of season as we are operating here in this world. Father, I just pray over each one of my sisters for blessings, Lord, that you touch their, just touch their families, touch their homes, touch their lives. Father, Lord, this is a Thanksgiving week, and I'm just praying, Father, that they have a wonderful week this week and give great thanks to you for all that you have given us. Lord, we are so grateful blessed beyond what we could ever imagine uh living where we live and having what we have father the breath in our lungs alone lord the word of god that you have left with us the the holy spirit that dwells in us we are so blessed no matter where we find ourselves at in these times and so lord just continue to bless my sisters until next time amen Family, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If it has blessed you in any way, would you give me 30 seconds and share it with a friend of yours? One more small little favor, if you would, head over to whatever podcast source you're listening to this on and give me a five star review. That would be so great. It helps get the episodes out there to other people who may be wanting to learn God's Word. Again, Don't forget, guys, until next time, it is a crockpot faith, not a microwave. With God's word, discipleship, and patience, you too will be transformed for his good work. Grace and peace I leave with you until next time.